Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Good morning. Welcome to church. Good to see you today. In, uh, on the seat, you should have found an invite to Easter. We are just a week away from celebrating the greatest event known to man, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive, and we have reason to celebrate today. And uh, so not only today, but every day of our lives because of the hope that we have. We want to encourage you to invite somebody, be a part of uh, Easter with us. You heard the events that are happening Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday and don't miss it. We are, uh, we're going to be in a, a time of worship, but we have over 10 people getting baptized, and uh, we're also believing for healing, that God's just going to do uh, work in people's lives, and so encourage you to come and uh, be a part of that service with us Wednesday night. That'll roll into Saturday as we will be celebrating Easter at Story Square. Invite a friend, invite a family to come and be a part of, uh, of that with us, and uh, on the backside, you'll see the invite to the Easter extravaganza, and then Sunday, you already know, we're going to be meeting here. We do have our uh, one o'clock service that we added just to make more room, and uh, you might consider um, maybe uh, the eleven thirty or the the uh, one o'clock service. Um, sometimes we just find that the eight thirty and the ten are the more uh, the more uh, busy services, and so if that works for you, but whatever works for you and your family, hope you'll come and let's celebrate Easter together. Something we we also want to make you aware of is uh, on. Uh, online, you'll find a weekly devotion that we put together uh, for a daily communion uh, this week uh, to, to just remember Holy Week. Today, of course, uh, is the, the day we call Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, a humble king came, uh, not like any other. And uh, he came uh, as, as giving himself willingly. And so all of this week, of course, Holy Week, we just acknowledge the willingness, the sacrifice of, of Jesus. We've, we've put together a devotional that is a daily communion devotional that we want to encourage you. You can find a link on the YouVersion Bible app or, or on uh, myfaithassembly.org under the Easter tab. just simply says Devo. And uh, what we've done is we've just written a, a brief devotional that we would encourage you as a family, either individually or as a family. You say, well, my kids are young. It's not a problem to start young. And uh, to just acknowledge uh, what Jesus has done in that story, would encourage you maybe before you leave the house in the morning as a family or maybe at the dinner table each night to gather and uh, to just read the scripture, read the devotional that's been provided. There's a prayer that's there and the prayer ends with this, Lord bless this cup and this bread in this cup in Jesus' name. And then simply to receive, uh, whether that be crackers or bread, uh, grape juice, uh, and, and just to encourage you to, to share in that with your family. And each day, um, just have a, a moment of acknowledging and recognizing what Jesus Christ has done. And so you'll find that devotional to, to, to be online to help guide you in that. And I just believe that it's always important and significant when we take church just from these walls, but into our homes and into our places of, of, of life and interaction. So whether, whatever stage and season of life you're in, if you're, if you're home alone, then man, do that with, with God. If you're, if you're at a stage where the kids have left the house and it's just you and your spouse, man, take that moment. Or if the kids are, whatever season you find yourself in, or they're off to college, whatever that is, uh, they're just in those seasons, let's gather together as, as a family and and uh, share 
in honoring and remembering this holy week, what Christ has made possible for us. Well, welcome to the last week of Ready to Run. I've got my green shoes on with wings. Man, it, what an exciting, I just want to say last Sunday uh, was awkward and humbling and uncomfortable for me. Um, but uh, the love that, that Jody and I felt uh, was over the top uh, in the first service. Uh, I've got my Bible, so it's, uh, this is my new Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from it today. And then I've got uh, my, my green shoes with wings, and uh, it is just an exciting thing. I want to say thank you. It, it was uh, 10 years ago this weekend. Uh, was uh, our first Sunday as pastors here at Faith Assembly. And uh, so this weekend uh, just marks uh, uh, just a, a special time for, for us as we came here. Uh, with uh, at that time a, a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a, and a uh, 7-year-old, and now two of them are too old to even live in the house anymore. And uh, that's, uh, it just changes. But I was uh, looking back, and this was the first series we did 10 years ago, 10 years ago this weekend. This was the first series that we did. It was called High Point. And uh, this is uh, the first series I remember preaching and talking about how God wants to take us and recognizing the place that we're in. God wants to take us to high places. I think it's rather significant that we started with hiking boots, but now we've got tennis shoes. We've got running shoes. That we're, We started with hiking boots, but now we've got running shoes. And, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for this season, this time. But uh, thanks to Nate, we've also come a long way in our graphic arts department as well. Uh, so we, we've seen some progress and increase. Um, I want to look today in Jonah chapter 1. If you, you uh, want to turn there, you'll find it, Version Bible app. Um, as we wrap this up today, I, I want to uh, really look at the the first chapter of Jonah, but then also uh, skim the, the, the book of Jonah, telling the significant event in Jonah's life. But as you're turning there, let me just one more time reference our anchor verse, uh, where we've been coming from over the last couple of weeks. And it's out of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 46. The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Here's what I want you to hear today as we prepare to, to look at this word together. Run the race set by the one who gave you the strength to run it. Run the race that is set by the one who gave you the strength to run it. If he gave you the strength to run, then make sure you're running the race that he has marked out for you and not your own. Amen. Make sure you run the direction because if he gave us the strength, that we would give the strength or use the strength to run this race that he has called us to in his spirit and in his strength, for his purpose. Jonah chapter one, would you stand with me today? And just reading the first 10 verses, this is a great story. If you've not read the book of Jonah, it's four chapters. And uh, I would say even this week, but if you're gonna pick between reading the book of Jonah or doing the family devotion, I would say do the family devotion. Uh, but you could fit both in, honestly. Uh, Jonah is a, uh, such a story of, of adventure and uh, uh, just surprise and all that happens and yet, the surprising thing is how Jonah ends the story. But I want to look at the first 10 verses. Here's what he says uh, in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amite. Get up and go to the city, the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against that city because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and ran the other direction to get away from the Lord. Some of us can relate. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He, brought, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. 
Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold of the boat. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? The captain shouted, get up and pray to your God. Because everybody's got one, so pray to yours. We're praying to ours, now you pray to yours. So pick your God. He's saying, pray to your God because we're in this trouble. He says, maybe we'll get his attention and he'll save us. He'll rescue us. How can you sleep? Pray that God would spare our lives. Verse seven, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why have you done this awful, why have, uh, why have you caused this awful storm to come on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? There are the 20 questions right after that. So why is this happening? Who are you? What did you do? Who's to blame? What's the problem? All of the questions when life has issues. How many have found yourself when life has troubles? You ask a whole lot of questions of who caused it? What's this about? What's it for? What's going on? What's working? And they asked the questions, verse 9, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to run this race with the strength that you give us to accomplish the purpose that you have for us. God, search our hearts. Do in us what would bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? Tell your neighbor today, tell him, watch where you're running. You may be seated this morning. Watch, watch where you're running. I, um, I, I was that kid that in elementary, I, I got to walk to school. And uh, it was not up, up, uh, uphill both ways. It was just uphill one way. Um, and uh, we would walk to school. And along the way, I would, I would pick up David. <laughs> he was a, a neighbor kid. And, and uh, so he would walk along with me to school. And and uh, David had done this on multiple occasions. Uh, there was a telephone pole that was tight on the sidewalk, and David would love to talk, and David could not talk to you without looking at you. And David would run into that telephone pole at least three times that I can remember. One time I had to escort him to the nurse's office uh, as, a, as a result. Watch where you're running. We all know the importance that if you have a dog, you better watch where you're running. In the yard, I make it a point to pick up as much as possible the stuff that the dog leaves behind because if the stuff is in the yard, it hinders the ability to run with freedom. If the stuff's just randomly thrown about, if it's there, there's, there's this, this issue that is unable to run with freedom. And if I do run with freedom, I run with the opportunity of stepping in something. And when you step in something, you track it and carry it with you. You can imagine walking in that and then stepping in the back of the house and then tracking that all the way to the bedroom. How many know that's a problem? There is something, watch where you're running, that, that we're in this place that we have to be aware of where it is that we're stepping, what we're carrying, what we're, what we're, we're tracking. Watch where you're running. The more that you run in the presence of God, the more sensitivity that you'll develop to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The more running, the more we run in the presence of God, the more sensitivity we develop to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we submit to his leading, it allows us to steer away from the unnecessary things that we, that we step in, or it enables us to get rid of the stuff that we've stepped in. Because if you step in that, it's gonna follow you until you do something about it. 
When you walk in those places, walking where you run, there's a sensitivity that we need. And sensitivity is being aware of what's on our feet, being aware of where we're running, being aware of what we're tracking, what we're carrying, that we've got to be aware and be careful where we're running. If you're writing notes, I I would encourage you to write this down this morning. When passion, or when we run with passion, it's a good thing. But when passion is stronger, our passion to run is stronger than the presence that directs, we'll start stepping into the things that we shouldn't step into. When our passion to run is stronger than the presence to direct us, we'll run in places we shouldn't. Here's a simple case in point. Has anyone ever spoken before you thought? Perfect example. When our passion is to say something, but the presence of mind and the process to do it properly or to respond in a proper proper way, it hinders our ability. We're doing things with passion, and passion's great, but if we had passion more than we have the presence of God, then that becomes a danger to us over time that we'll start running in places and doing and carrying things that we weren't meant to do. Here's Moses. Moses had a passion, but he had to learn the sensitivity to the presence of God. Moses had a passion growing up in Egypt. He, of course, is a Hebrew son born to to his parents, but during the time of his birth, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh was calling for the death of every child. And so Moses' mother, Jochebed, created a boat and weaved this boat and then put Moses in the river. And Moses, of course, literally means to be pulled out of the water. God, God rescued Moses, but it, he was rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. So he left being a, being a Hebrew slave to now being a part of Pharaoh's house. Moses grew up knowing who he was, that he was a Hebrew, and he would watch the Egyptians beat his fellow Hebrews. This bothered Moses. Moses wanted to do something about it. Moses had a passion that it shouldn't be this way. I want to see justice. I want to see right things happen. Moses said it shouldn't be like this. So Moses, in his passion, one day saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and in his passion, Moses killed the Egyptian. As a result of that, Moses ends up having to run for his life to, the, to the, the wilderness, spending 40 years in the desert, and he's in that place having passion. It wasn't wrong that he wanted justice for God's people, but when your passion is more than God's presence, you'll start running in places you weren't meant to run. That when your passion is stronger than the presence, it was in the desert that Moses had to learn the presence of God. Because while in the desert, he was intersected by a burning bush. He's walking along one day. There's a a bush on fire, but it's on fire, but not being consumed. Moses knew there's something significant. He goes with with curiosity to check this out and hears from the, 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 the bush, the voice of the Lord that says, Moses, Take off your shoes. The place that you're standing is holy ground. If you want to know how to be sensitive to where you're walking, take off your shoes because there's a greater sensitivity. Have you ever tried to walk on stones barefooted? That doesn't work too well. There's a sensitivity. Moses was in a moment now taking off his shoes and God was saying, what you've carried this far, you can't carry where I'm calling you to go. So you've got to take off your shoes because you've stepped in some stuff that I don't want you to step in anymore because your passion has caused you to operate in your own spirit, but I need you to have my presence so that you can do what's in my spirit and now your passion will follow my spirit. And if you have things in the right order, you'll be able to go in the right places and do the right things and accomplish things that God has called us to accomplish. Passion is not a bad thing, but if we have more passion than we have the presence of God, there becomes this concern. He's, he's of course, saying to, to Moses, and Moses develops a, a sensitivity to the presence of God. He now comes back to Egypt, and when he comes back to Egypt, he doesn't come back with a passion to kill. 
he comes back with an authority because now he throws his staff down, it turns into a snake, picks it back up, and it turns back into what it's supposed to be. He strikes the Nile, it turns into blood. He speaks with authority, it causes gnats and flies to come. He now operates not with the passion to kill, but now he has the power and the authority to demonstrate the power of God on the earth. God wants you and I to run, not with a passion, not to kill. Sometimes, let's be honest, if we're running with a passion of we're better than other people, we need to take care of problems, we run with a passion to prove ourselves more than running with a passion to prove the glory and the honor of our God. There's a danger that when we run with passion more than the presence of God, here's here's simply put, if we don't fix the problem properly, we will only become part of the problem. If we do not fix the problem properly, we will only become part of the problem. Be careful. Watch where you're running Jonah is in a similar situation as Moses. He's in a day where Assyria is now the problem. He's heard the stories of Assyria all the way back to to the wilderness where Assyria would oppress and Assyria would hinder their trade routes. Assyria was a problem to Israel. Jonah grows up in this, or Jonah's living in this time. He's, he's following Elisha, and he would before, be before Isaiah. So Jonah is in this, this, this spectrum of, of just the, the great prophets that are declaring hope, declaring there's judgment. And so he's in the midst of this. And God is wanting to judge Assyria and deal with Assyria. Jonah grows up in this knowing that they're bad people. Not only do they let their sin out of the closet, but now they boast about their sin. Does it sound familiar now? That we become even in our place that Jonah looks at this and God says, Lord, they're, they're evil people. They've, they've hindered us. They've oppressed us in the past. They're wicked. They have so many gods. They're ungodly. They're an unbridled, ungodly people. Let's kill them. That was Jonah's idea. The Lord says to Jonah, I want you to go and speak to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to bring judgment. And Jonah says, I um, don't think so. So Jonah gets on a boat, goes the opposite direction. As he goes the opposite direction, a storm comes up. And while he's sleeping, they wake him up. They find out he doesn't say anything except his first introduction. Hi, I'm Jonah. I'm running away from God. That's all they know. Because they already knew that. Hi, I'm Jonah. I'm running away from God. Okay, fine. So they let him on his boat. Be careful who you let on your boat, by the way. Honestly, be careful who you let get on your boat and in, the, in your environment. And they said, I'm running away from God. They go about, a storm comes up. And now they're all like, wait, hurry, pray to your God. You have a God, you have a God, you have a God. Everybody pray to your God, let's get help. And so they go to Jonah. The captain says, how are you sleeping at this time? What are you doing? Jonah, of course, comes along. He's like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And so they cast lots. Jonah doesn't even say, hey, I think it could be me because I'm running away from God. Remember that story? But Jonah's like, okay, let's cast lots. And so they cast lots, and the lots fall to Jonah. God even knows how to use the ungodly and the undesirable things of the world to turn everything and work it in his direction. It lands on Jonah. Jonah says, all right. They say, who are you? What are you about? What nationality? What are you doing? He says who he is. And then they say, well, what should we do about it? Jonah says, throw me overboard. Jonah, of course, offering himself, he's finally starting to come to his senses. He wasn't willing to go to to, uh, Syria for the sake of those lost people, but now he's willing to be thrown overboard. So he's getting a better direction here. So they try to do other things, and then eventually they throw him overboard. And while he's in the water, God rescues him with a fish that comes and eats him. Now, this fish, he's in the belly of this fish for three days. At the end of three days, the Bible says that God caused the fish to spit Jonah onto shore. That's disgusting. And so 
God spits, or the fish spits Jonah out on the shore, and then God comes to him a second time. Hey, go to Nineveh. <laughs> Guess what Jonah says? You got it. I'm going. <laughs> so Jonah goes to Nineveh. He speaks to the, to the Assyrians, the evil people. They're wicked. They have no gods. They're just ungodly. He speaks to, to the Ninevites, and he says, God is going to bring judgment. And here the king of Assyria, word gets to him, and the king of Assyria leaves his throne and comes down to repent. Something happens when people leave their thrones. God moves when people get off their thrones. Uh, let that sink in for a little bit. When you leave your throne and recognize that you need God, that, here's what happened. Revival struck Nineveh. How many are wanting a revival to move across, across Fayette County, across our area, when people get off their thrones and come to a place of acknowledging God? And so revival strikes the area, and here's what Jonah does. There's revival on the earth. There's excitement that here is Assyria. The people who are against God are now turning to God. They oppress God's people, but now they're turning to God. And how does Jonah reply? I knew it. Jonah goes up to the top of a mountain and complains to God and says, God, this is why I ran away. This is why I didn't go because I knew you would have mercy and they don't deserve mercy. Mo or Jonah is now mad at God for giving mercy to the Ninevites. And so Jonah is sitting there waiting to see what will happen. And while he's sitting in the, in the sun, it's hot in the, in the desert. The Bible says that God caused a, a, a tree to grow. And this tree grew quickly and it provided shade for Jonah and he was excited. He, he was appreciative of the shade that was covering him. But the Bible says the next day, God sent a worm to eat the tree and now the shade was gone. Jonah is sitting there, rescued from the ship, rescued from the water, rescued from the whale, now sitting there declaring hope to a people and watching to see what God will do, angry that God was gonna save them. And Jonah says... There God says to Jonah, or, or when Jonah, of course, has the tree gone, Jonah says, I hate my life. I don't want to live. I have no shade. I, I, I hate my life. God comes to, to Jonah and says, is it right for you to be angry about the tree? And these are Jonah's last words. We don't hear of Jonah anymore. These are the last words that Jonah speaks. You're right. I have a right to be angry, and I'm angry enough to die. The end. What a grumpy old soul living. I'm not questioning today whether Jonah was saved. I believe he made it. I do. He did. The book's in the Bible. It doesn't give us the rest of his story because I think it was meant to say, now you and I have a choice because when we deal with ourselves, we have a choice to see how we're going to end. I believe Jonah made it, salvation. I'm not saying he wasn't saved, but I am saying I wonder if he could have been more effective than he really was. What was it that caused Jonah to be in the condition that he was in? Jonah was a stubborn self-righteous, unwilling individual who just wanted things done his way. He had a strong, stubborn willingness or unwillingness. Have you ever known a stubborn person? You don't have to raise your hand. You know the person that says, I have every right to feel the way I feel. I have every right to respond the way I respond. There is this stubbornness that was in Jonah, and I'm not saying today that he ran, and here's what he ran. He ran, and yes, God got a hold of him. I'm so thankful for the grace and the mercy of God. But oh, how more effective he may have been able to be. And what I want to ask you today, in your running, are you running with passion, or are you running with the presence of God? Because the danger is that we can run in the wrong spirit, thinking we're doing the right thing. 
Because Jonah was justified in his mind. These are bad people. They need, they, need, they, need, they, they, need, they need to be brought to justice. Things need to happen in their lives. And he has this attitude of those kind of people. You know, you and I sometimes in our world, we can relate to that. You know, those kinds of people that we put people in classes and situations and circumstances. And we somehow think, and here's the problem. Anytime you put someone else in an other category, you've lifted yourself above them. Anytime there have been those kind of people, you have elevated yourself above someone else. Anytime you say those kind of people, if you have ever said those kind of people, you have elevated yourself. Now you're operating in what is called the spirit of religion. And the spirit of religion is control connected to witchcraft. Ouch. (laughs) There is a desire to control. And anytime we control, it's connected to a stubbornness and manipulation. And when our stubbornness is held with a desire to control or manipulate, we're operating in a spirit that might have passion, but it doesn't have the presence of God. It's got passion, but it's lacking the presence of God. Jonah ran with passion. What's the passion? These people, those kind of people, they need to pay for their sin. They don't deserve justice and mercy They don't deserve, and so according to how I see things, I think it ought to go this way. We become a God unto ourselves, and now our passion is causing us to run with ineffectiveness. That we would be people who run in the right spirit, that this this spirit, and and Jonah, of course, was in this this stubbornness, this self-righteousness, and here's the danger. He became the very problem he didn't like about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were stubborn and unwilling to turn to God. What did Jonah end up doing in his own result? Be careful that what you don't like so much becomes the very thing that we operate in. And we now mimic when Jesus said, you don't fight evil with evil, you fight evil with good. The world has a way of operating, but we are not of the world. And therefore, we cannot allow a spirit of religion. Let me, let me talk about this for, for a moment. Like Moses, Jonah wanted justice. Justice is good. Here's the problem, though. You can't have justice without righteousness. You can't have justice without righteousness. You need both. If we're running, watch. We've got to be careful where we're running, that we're running with the right spirit. Let me tell you what the spirit of religion is. The spirit of religion is a controlling and manipulative hindrance to the free-flowing work of God in our lives and in our communities. It is a form It is a form of a good thing, but it lacks the power. It has a form of godliness and denies the power. That the spirit of religion is self-righteousness. It's manipulative. It becomes self-centered. It becomes an act of control. Here's a a definition of it as well. The spirit of religion is a shift from joyful obedience to God. It's kind of like the stuff in the yard. If you don't pick it up, you can't run freely. Because you got stuff that, that you're tracking and it's, it's carrying, it's on you, you need to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, if you don't let, take authority over that and let God, let God shake that from you, then you're gonna be running with passion without the presence of God. And church, if we don't have the presence of God, we don't have anything. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We can feed all the hungry people, serve every need, do every good deed, but if we don't have the power and the spirit of God, we've not done anything. If we do not have power and the authority of the presence of God, the spirit of God, it will be limited. The spirit of religion is a shift from joyful obedience in God and a transformed life. It shifts to simply doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong things. The spirit of religion only allows for an outward righteousness. It does not transform the person or the heart. 
Rather, it puts on a front and an appearance that is no greater than skin deep. This impacts the local church by creating divisions between individuals and stealing the joy, the freedom, and the healing and transformation that comes through the power of God. We don't need just passion. We need the power of God's presence. And making sure that we run with the right spirit and the right heart. Listen what Amos chapter 5, the Lord said to, to the, the people of Israel, he said, I hate your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. That's a problem to me. If God doesn't notice what we're doing, then we have no business doing it. If it doesn't attract and, and draw the presence of God, then it doesn't matter. It's not gonna do anything. We need the presence of God. He says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I wanna see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. Justice and righteousness. You can't have one without the other. Here's what happens if we lack one over the other. Justice without righteousness lacks grace. If we have justice without righteousness, we lack grace. Here's why. Without grace, we just exchange one wrong for another. We exchange one wrongful act for another. The problem with this is it's in our mind and in our culture that the only way to make things right is to pay for what you've done. Here's the problem. I can never pay for my sins. What can I really do to make what I did better? Nothing. Am I saying there shouldn't be punishment? Absolutely not. But punishment doesn't need to be formed to a place of paying for your sins. Punishment needs to be formed to a place of learning and changing and being reformed because of what you've done becoming made new. But when we set in a place of, of, of having lack of grace, it becomes this idea of paying for it. Here, here's the problem. Our nation has sins of the past. It is... It is foolish to think that the sins of one generation should be paid for by the payment of another generation. That's foolish. And in our culture, we lack grace because the way to fix what was done in one place is to make someone else pay for it in another. That's foolish. Grace means we recognize what was wrong we can't go back and change that. We recognize what is unjust and we allow our hearts to change and in changing, we come to see one another not as better than because here's the danger that in order to, to, in order to, to elevate or in order to fix a something or a situation done in someone's life and situation, it means to tear down another person. You don't get redemption and made better because you tore someone else down. And that's our culture right now. We're so divided, so such injustice. We want justice. We want equality. We want righteousness. We want freedom of, of speech. We want freedom of religion. All of this is good, but be careful that you don't fight for it with passion, which ends up being just like the world and not fighting with it with the presence of God. That we become leading with passion and we operate like the world. So we have righteousness, we want justice, or we want righteousness. You can't have one or the other. You have to have both. Because if you don't have the righteousness and justice together, justice without righteousness lacks grace. It falls into this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And I know you might say, well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, under the law, and we don't live under the law. Thanks be to Jesus, he set us free from the law. He's 
given us hope and redemption. And so if we live in this place, you gotta pay for what you've done. No, really, you can't pay for what you've done. But what I really want you to know is that there's grace and you don't have to live like that. And if you won't make the change, then culture and the law has to make you change. That's why we have prisons. That's why we have things that are in place because if you won't change, then the law has to make you change. But if you know grace and truth, you don't need the law to change you because the presence of God will do what it needs to do in your life. I thought I'd get a couple more amens than that. I mean, if y'all would rather live under the law, <laughs> but the grace and truth of God will transform us. What do we need more? We don't, we don't need more people passionate about the law. We need more people passionate about the presence of God. Amen. Being transformed by the presence of God of God, allowing that and running with that, with the grace and truth. Here's righteousness without justice is a lack of truth. And if we don't have truth, what this becomes is we become a judge unto ourselves. We judge according to our self-righteousness, according to our stubbornness. We become the judge. The Bible says in Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How many know that didn't work out well? And if we lack grace, if we lack grace, then we expect people to pay for what they've done. If we lack truth, then we expect everybody to measure up the way I think it ought to happen. That's a problem. We need to come with grace and truth, righteousness and justice together, grace and truth. When we operate in grace and truth, we operate in the spirit of God. The, the Bible says of Jesus in John chapter one, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. How many can say, I have seen the glory of the one and only son? When you and I see the glory of the one and only son, who is he? The Bible says that he came from the father. How? Full of grace and truth. And if we have seen the glory of the father, then it should shift and change us and cause us to run in a direction that is healthy, in a direction that's effective. Not a direction that just has passion, but it has effectiveness. I'm not asking today, did Jonah make it to heaven? I think he did. What I'm asking is, could he have been more effective? Yeah, because he allowed the stubbornness in his heart all the way to the end. I'm right. I should die because I don't like life and I think it's okay for me to feel this way. Um, let me just say to us today in this aspect of being careful, the spirit of religion trying to control a stubbornness. We've gotta be careful how we're running. If we're running with grace and truth, we're running with the spirit of God, but if we're running with stubbornness, jealousy, selfishness, and bitterness, then we're running in a spirit of religion. That these are indicators in a believer's life that, that we're, we're running with things that are not godly. James chapter three, listen what James says. James chapter three, verse 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I don't think we can treat it like, no big deal. It's demonic. The spirit of religion is like witchcraft which is a desire to control or manipulate. It's a stubbornness. And when we let these things go in our heart, we become a God unto ourselves. I'm not questioning today and saying, can, can grumpy people go to heaven? I'm not questioning that. 
But goodness, I think we could be more effective in a world that's hurting and broken. You can make it to heaven grumpy. I don't know. That's between, I can judge your fruit, but I can't judge your heart. The same as mine. You can judge my fruit, but you can't judge my heart. So the heart is what causes you to go to heaven, and only God knows the heart. But man, we ought to run with some better fruit in a world if we have seen the glory of our God. So let me ask you a couple questions for uh, regarding Jonah. And, and here's what I want to ask you today. And I really want to, I want to just, I want to drive this to a point of saying today, is there an area of stubbornness and self-righteousness that needs to be addressed in our lives? Maybe we stepped into some stuff that we've got to deal with because it's on our feet and it's not causing us to run in the right direction or run with the heart of God. We've got passion. Oh, we need freedom of speech. Yeah, I know. But if our heart for freedom of speech stoops to a level of bitterness and anger, then we're running with passion, but not with the Spirit of God. So now we have passion, but we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Do, do you hear what I'm saying today? So be careful. Yeah, I, I'm not saying, yes, we need social justice and equality. Absolutely, I get it. But be careful. You're not just tearing down one people to make up for another. Be careful. That's all I'm saying is let's watch how we're running because you might have the right passion, but if you don't have the right pet presence, it won't produce the right outcome. You'll be running in a whole different direction, the direction that doesn't even make anything better. It just trades one problem for another problem. We just become more divided and more separated, more of an issue. We've already got that in our world. And a, a divided church or a divided world needs a unified church in this moment more than ever. And we've got to be willing to address. And so I want to, what I want to say to us today, church, let's be willing to address the spirit of stubborn, or not spirit, but spirit of religion that is, that is really shown in stubbornness, unwillingness. I mean, this was Jonah. He was just unwilling to change. So let me ask you three questions as we close here today. Number one, in order to hold on to either stubbornness or unwillingness, what are you willing to pay? Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and instead of going to Nineveh, he went to the port, and he bought a ticket 2,500 miles the other direction. I don't know this for a fact, but it would stand to reason if it costs X amount to go 500 miles, it probably costs X, X, more X's amount to go 2,500 miles. Would you agree? Isn't it interesting that sometimes we're willing to pay a price to be wrong? We're willing to pay a price to be stubborn. What are you willing to pay? To hold on to self-righteousness, to hold on to, yeah, well, they got what they had coming to them. You know what? I can't stand this. What, what, what are you willing to pay? What are you willing to pay at the cost of what? what, what, what to do what? To, to accomplish what? What are you willing to pay? And sometimes within our divisiveness and spirit of control, we've paid some things that God, I believe, is un, undesirable and ungodly to the heart of God. We've allowed division and arrogance self-righteousness. What, what are we willing to pay? Number two, let me ask you this question. What are you willing to ignore? Jonah falls asleep at the bottom of the boat and, and he's there. How do you sleep when there's a storm going on and everybody's throwing stuff off of the, off the boat? I'm sure there had to be some way. If, if the storm didn't wake you, the tossing, whatever it is, there was something in him that he was willing to ignore. And what is it sometimes that the Holy Spirit is prompting and saying, hey, I want you to check your spirit, check your heart. And what do we ignore? The, the danger of, of ignoring some things and remaining in a place that, that's separated. Here, here's the third one. What are you willing to wait for? What's it gonna take? 
Jonah got rescued from the boat. He got rescued from the sea. And he got rescued from the fish. What did that have on him? I still want them to burn. Do you know the trouble of not recognizing what Jesus has done for us and not letting that transform us on the inside out? There's an unwillingness. I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago. We were visiting Jalen and, and, and Eli and, and I, I took a morning walk and just all by myself and I'm, I'm walking down the street and there's a gentleman who is in uh, uh, just some uh, just clothes. It was obvious he's, he's homeless. He's carrying a backpack, sitting under a bridge. I'm walking by, I say hello and just have general conversation. And as I'm walking away, my heart is like, God, how do we fix people? I felt the Holy Spirit say, that's your problem. God, how do we fix people? God said, that's your problem. This is really where this came from. The Holy Spirit said to me, anytime you try to fix somebody, you try to control them. And when you try to control them, you operate in a spirit that is of you and not of me. So I'm talking to this guy and I'm, I, I'm walking by and I'm praying, God, he, he needs to change. He's, he's homeless. He's a veteran. He needs, he needs help. He needs hope. What the Holy Spirit said to me was, I can give people invitation, but I can't give them willingness. And if I try to give somebody willingness, then I try to give them what I was never meant to give them. Because if I make you willing, then ultimately I control you. And I was never meant to control anybody because only the spirit of religion and of witchcraft is meant to control people. The spirit of God is meant to give us freedom so that we can operate in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the church or people, if we're being honest with ourselves, even in good nature, we try to fix people. We, we try to, let's be honest, some of you are trying to fix your spouse. Anytime you think you need to fix something is the moment you've now made yourself the standard and the standard bearer and now you've become the person. It's my job to fix them. No, it's not. You're not meant to control anybody. And if you think it's your job to control, I've got to love them to change. No, you don't love them to change. You love them because you love them. Anytime there's something connected to it, it's called control. And if it's control, it's a spirit of witchcraft. It's a stubborn, controlling spirit. Because if I have to fix you, then that means in my mind, everything's good with me. You're the problem. Self-righteousness. I don't need to change. I don't have a pro I don't have an issue. I'm not wrong for wanting the Assyrians to die. They're the ones who did this. They started it. No, but the Spirit of God says, oh God, trans me transform me from the inside out. In church, when we walk in the Spirit of God and break, and listen, one of the strongholds over, and I know it's all over regions, but over this region here in Fayette County, the spirit of poverty, I believe God's breaking it. The spirit of religion, it's next to go. The spirit of religion, and in the church, God is undoing, even here at Faith Assembly, I believe God is undoing the spirit of religion. A religious spirit is, I'm better than, I'm elevated, those kind of people, the way they are, the way that we have the wrong heart when we run with that unwillingness. What did the Pharisee on one hill and the sinner on the other? This guy said, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. And this guy said, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. I'm not saying we don't call sin out. What I'm saying is 
when we do, we do it recognizing, God, what is in me that needs to adjust and change? Where can I get good at being a follower of Jesus now for 30-some years that I can settle into my spirit of religion? Strap my belt on. I know what I'm doing. Same thing. Been here, done that, got this down. No, you don't. You've not been here and done. Yeah, you've known Jesus, but you knew him in that stage and at that moment. Guess what? You're not the same person you were back then. He's making you new. Let, let me just give you this as, as we close. I want to, I, I feel like the, the Holy Spirit has, has struck what needs to be struck. So let me just say this and be done. If we don't operate in the right spirit, we've got to be careful. Be careful when conviction, when conviction is without compassion, it becomes pride. When we have conviction but no compassion, that's pride. Be careful. This is a big one. I want you to hear this. Hear this, hear this, hear this. Be careful. Be careful when we become more concerned with being right than with being effective. When we are more concerned with being right than we are with being effective. The gospel is effective. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is not my righteousness. The power of God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that transformed me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was a slave captive by sin, but now I'm free because of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. And when we operate in the power of the gospel, guess what? I want what you got. Oh, but I can't believe the people. I don't want what you got. <laughs> I don't want your stubborn, self-righteous, critical, put it down. Everybody's going to hell. You're the only one doing it right. Okay, that's a little extreme. I get it. I don't want that. But I want the gospel that says, oh, the love of God that overwhelms and overflows. That I go, every, guess what happens? I go to places that are dead and because of the power of God in me, dead things come to life. When I run with the power in the presence of God, guess what? He puts peace in my feet. He puts encouragement in my mouth and he puts healing in my hands. Come on, that we would see the power of God walking in the authority of, of who Jesus is. So this morning, this morning, I declare in Jesus' name that faith assembly is a religious free zone. The spirit of religion does, you know how if you go into Planet Fitness, I wouldn't know because I don't go. Anyway, <laughs> I have heard that they have this alarm that if somebody's like, oh, they have like this lunk alarm or something, am I right? You know, all the, um, some, anyway, it's like this alarm goes off. It's like somebody's trying to show off. Can I say, we need that in the church a little bit. Like I'm spiritual, I'm better than, I've got this uh, hunk alarm. No, you're not. You're not all that. You don't have it. No, you don't. No, you're not. I'm the least of these, but he loves me with the most and everlasting love. And because I know of his goodness, I want you to know the goodness. Guess what? I can run in my yard and I don't have to worry what I run into because I know the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And every day I let the Spirit of God come alive in me. I'm running with the Spirit of truth and not with the Spirit of religion because God wants us to be people who don't just grow old and grumpy. Would you just tell your neighbor right now, say, don't get old and grumpy. Just tell them that right now. Don't get old and grumpy. I just felt freedom right now in the room. Somebody just needed that. You needed that in your marriage right now. I mean, I just received that for you in Jesus' name. 
We're not going to get old and grumpy together. We're not just going to get by. We're going to allow the Spirit of God to change us and renew us. So here's what I want. Dag on it. I was going to shut up and I didn't do it quick enough. But let me just say this here. Jonah fell asleep at the boat. Guess who else fell asleep in the boat? Jesus. Let me just real quick compare these. Jonah slept on the boat. Jesus slept on the boat. You've got something going on in your mind when you can ignore the storm. And both of them had the disciples or the ship, the, the captain come and say, what are you doing? How can you sleep at a time like this? Here's the difference between Jonah sleeping and Jesus sleeping. Here's what it is. Jonah slept in stubbornness, but Jesus slept in confidence. Jonah, Jonah slept in arrogance, but Jesus slept in authority. What I want to say to you today, God wants you and I to have the power of God. The spirit of religion won't let us operate in the power of God. We're better than everybody else. But the spirit of God gives us power. And the power of God says we can lay hands on the sick. We can declare. Why? Because we have the authority. Run with the authority of Jesus' name. You're not good enough. You're not better. He's everything and he's made you good enough by the blood of Jesus Christ. So run in knowing who you are in Christ. Would you stand with me all across this room? And I want to close with this song. I know what time it is. Be gracious. But I want you to sing this today. Come on, let just allow God right now to search your heart. Maybe there's an area of stubbornness, an area of self-righteousness, an area that you say to God, God, let it fall off. I take authority over that today in Jesus' name. Amen.